You're listening to Boston Needs to Know on WBCA 102.9 FM, a show highlighting local Boston news. On March 11th, Mayor Michelle Wu, local politicians, and community volunteers were serving St. Patrick's meals with all the fixings to seniors at the annual St. Patrick's Senior Luncheon at the Knights of Columbus in Charlestown. It was a chance for Irish and non-Irish seniors alike to get together with each other to honor the St. Patrick's Day tradition. The brunch sponsored by the David M. Whalen Scholarship and Age Strong Boston is just one of the meaningful programs, resources, and events in which Boston seniors participate in and can enjoy being with their peers. It is the goal of Age Strong Boston to create an environment in which older adults can continue to lead healthy and productive lives. Today is one of those many times where we really appreciate our seniors and coming together and making sure that they're okay. These social events do so much more than just provide you know, a little bit of a meal. It's really a connecting moment. It allows for them to talk about concerns that they have in their lives. It allows for us to see each other. Honestly, in many cases, it's, it, for some of them, it's a part of their social fabric and making them feel that they're still belong in this community and this community still cares for them. So I love coming to these events. Um, it, makes, it makes sure that we are all connected regardless of where we're from. And so we're, I hope that we'll continue to have more in-person senior events and that they can still feel valued. You know, the funny thing is a lot of them survived world wars. They've survived uh, other wars. They survived pandemics. They've gone through so many things. And Many, many of us lost a friend or family member in this pandemic, so this makes these kinds of events extra special. Today, like we do every year, um, the David M. Whalen Scholarship sponsors this lovely St. Patrick's Day uh, luncheon for our beloved seniors. Um, we, it's so important to us because the seniors are the fabric of who we are. Growing up in Charlestown, we were always taught from our seniors to, to, to our parents and, and our elders to give back to this community. And that's what we're doing here today. We never forget how vibrant our seniors are in Charlestown. They are important and essential uh, piece of who we are as individuals in this community. And it's a pleasure to give back to them. Our older residents are so important to our community. They've done so much to help build our community, to make it what it is today. We really want to make sure we're providing opportunities for connection for people, opportunities for people to see each other, to get together, um, and to connect. That's such an important thing. We know that isolation is uh, has huge health impacts for people. Um, it can be like smoking six, 15 cigarettes a day. So we want to provide these opportunities for people to get together and connect, both for their health and their happiness. On March 14th, it was announced that the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency has added the 3.7-mile stretch of the Lower Neponset River to the Superfund National Priorities List. This action will result in a transformation of the river, improving its ecological health and bringing large benefits to the communities whose towns run alongside it. For more than a decade, surrounding communities have expressed concern about the potential contamination and the effects it would have on their lives. EPA's primary goal for this site is to protect the people in towns along the river who have been directly impacted by the decades of industrial contamination dumped into it, including those in the urban neighborhoods of Dorchester, Hyde Park, and Mattapan. The bipartisan infrastructure law passed last year and will invest $3.5 billion in the Superfund remedial program, making it one of the largest investments in our nation's history to address legacy pollution. It's a pleasure to be here in Mattapan on the banks of the Neponset River. 
with all of you today to announce that EPA has determined that the 3.7 mile stretch of the Neponset River running through Dorchester, Milton, Hyde Park, and Mattapan has been added to the Superfund National Priorities List. Exactly. It's time. It's time. This is a win-win for the communities who value recreating on the river, families who live in the area, and the wildlife that depend on it. Because we now have a mechanism to address the contamination in the sediment that has plagued the river for decades. We're here today to acknowledge finally, finally, that the federal government has officially recognized the dangerous pollution in the Deposit River. Today, we take the first official step toward cleaning up the river and making it safe for our neighbors. Like many industrial states, Massachusetts utilized our rivers and our shores as working waterfronts. We built communities around our harbors and our riverfronts which in turn powered our economy and created important jobs. But at the same time, that development came with the steep price of harmful pollution and contamination, and those costs were pushed onto our local communities. Residents of Milton, Dorchester, Mattapan, and Hyde Park have known for many years that PCB contamination in this part of the river is a serious health problem for their families and for families throughout the region. But knowing and actually developing a plan are two different things. It was important to get official recognition to begin to develop actual plans to clean up the river. This action, and this is the word du jour, will transform, will transform the river, improve its ecological health, and reduce the risk of health hazards for surrounding communities. Today's action by the EPA is the result of years of work by grassroots organizers and advocacy groups who fought for both a review and the removal of contamination from this river that runs through my district. No one should have to live, work, or go to school near a contaminated site and communities across the Massachusetts 7th and our country simply cannot afford to wait any longer for the protections that they deserve. The chemicals in this river can have serious impacts on physical health, on reproductive health, and affect our young people's cognitive development and learning. And communities that benefit most from this are the very community that, that stand to benefit the most from our investments here are the communities that have been historically targeted for disinvestment as part of racist policies like redlining for decades. While a few companies profited, our neighborhoods were polluted and our residents paid the price with their health. Dangerous chemicals do not belong in our water. They do not belong in our communities because clean water, clean air, and safe, stable housing are basic human rights that our residents shouldn't have to fight for. On March 15th, the Baker-Polito administration filed comprehensive health care legislation to strengthen the state's health care system by making it more accessible and keeping the costs affordable for Massachusetts families. The legislation focuses on increasing access to behavioral health services, given the effect the pandemic has had on our nation's health over the last two years. Baker said that the bill would increase access to primary and behavioral health care and other services that help keep people healthier in the long term, by increasing investments in these areas. 
He also emphasized that it would control the factors that have traditionally been increasing medical care costs for families and improve access to high-quality coordinated care. For several years now, there's been a consensus that we should be prioritizing mental health and treating it the same way we treat other types of medical care. And there's broad agreement in the healthcare community and among our colleagues in the legislature that we should and do need to make that happen. Our 2019 bill aimed squarely at addressing that issue. And since then, the pandemic has only underscored the need to treat behavioral health care services the same way we treat other health care services, both in terms of people's ability to access those services, but more importantly, to put them on a laying, level playing field with respect to how and what we pay for them. As we emerge from this pandemic, we all know that too many people, young and old, are struggling with feelings of isolation, depression, and despair. And too often, it's difficult and complicated to access services that can help them. The bill we're filing today would require healthcare providers and insurers to increase spending on primary care and behavioral health care within the context of the overall health care cost growth benchmark that's set by the Health Policy Commission. The bill sets a target of 30% growth in these areas over the next three years, but gives providers and insurers flexibility with respect to how they go about meeting that objective. By increasing investments in this part of the healthcare system, we open access to care and keep people healthier in the long term, make services that are not currently available more available, and also provide a more cost-effective approach to healthcare generally. With more people reporting higher social risks such as food insecurity, housing insecurity and during the pandemic, it's clear we need to take a holistic view of primary care and mental health treatment, break down barriers, and engage people in new ways. We also know that inadequate rates for behavioral health contribute to lack of access to conditions, particularly for people who cannot afford to pay out of pocket for care. At Boston Medical Center, we pay, see patients as far away as New Bedford or Lawrence um, because they cannot find a clinician closer to their home who takes mass health. The requirement in the governor's bill that we spend more on behavioral health and primary care will significantly help improve access to those services. The prioritization of the governor's bill around primary care and behavioral health is critical to us to make progress in addressing this crisis. Untreated or undertreated routine behavioral health needs not only prolong suffering of our patients, but they drive medical spend by creating and exacerbating acute care needs, as well as impeding individuals' productivity in the workforce. Emergency departments have seen a 24% increase in mental health-related visits among children ages 5 to 11, and a 31% increase um, in children ages 12 to 17. Uh, this is according to the CDC. Our clinicians and staff provide amazing care in our emergency department, but that's not the best place to, to address behavioral health conditions and provide routine care. And that's why we agree with the governor about the importance of primary care and behavioral health care in promoting overall health and preventing acute care needs. On March 16th, the group Coalition for a Just Alston Brighton protested against Harvard University in its anticipation of the harm Harvard's expansion plans will have on their community. Harvard owns one-third of the land in Alston and has considerable land holdings in Brighton, representing approximately 170 acres of potential development. The coalition noted that many of Harvard's actions in Alston-Brighton over several decades have been represented by secrecy or not allowing a meaningful amount of neighborhood input in their plans decision-making. 
The group's key priority is to protect the dignity, tradition, and well-being of Alston Brighton and its residents. They say they can only do this by Harvard issuing a comprehensive plan for their vast land holdings in Alston Brighton, as opposed to offering a piecemeal plan. The group is also fighting for a higher guaranteed percentage of affordable housing, significantly improved public transportation, and a design of a climate-resilient community that will meet the challenges of the climate crisis. I'm a resident in Austin, Brighton, but I used to live in Chinatown and then in South Boston. I was displaced from both of those neighborhoods, and I've seen what development coming in, what it does to the neighborhood. I don't want to see the same thing happen in my new home in Austin, Brighton. So Harvard wants to come in here and build more lab space. And what's good for the university is not good for our neighborhoods, for the people who live here. We need more open space, and we don't want more traffic, and we don't want this to be a playground. What happened at Boston College is when they built, bought the archdiocese property, they built stadiums and buildings, and that's a loss of trees. And trees are the lungs of the planet. They breathe for people, and that's my fear, is that in this enormous area that Harvard has, a third of the land in Austin, we'll see concrete, and we'll see buildings, and we'll increase, they'll increase the urban heat island effect. And I don't see Harvard taking responsibility for what gets built there and for the environment in that huge amount of area. We're very concerned about the working class nature of our community. Many of the jobs that are going to come in are sciences, lab space, a lot of lab space is proposed. And that's all well and good and it will help maintain our community. But at the same time, there are so many people who have lived here for years or just moved here recently. And we want to make sure they can afford to live in our city and in our neighborhood here of Alston Brighton. So when we deal with Harvard University, we want to make sure that there's deeper affordability in the housing that they're proposing. So I think that's a striking difference between the community's view of what this development should bring and Harvard's views. Harvard's views really are putting profits before people. The community wants to put people before profits. This has been historically a working class, middle class community and a long history of immigrants from all over the world coming to settle here, first neighborhood they've lived in in the United States. That's being lost. Working people, middle class people, and families are being displaced relentlessly by the housing crisis, and the housing crisis is in part fueled by Harvard's development. The community wants a just, affordable, equitable, climate-resilient community, and Harvard's plans don't do any of those things.